Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me for the Mindfulness Movement and Exercise podcast. I'm here with a special guest, Marlo Fiskin. Thank you so much, Marlo, for joining me. And before we get into it, I'm just going to quickly recap last time. So if you remember last time, we talked about fatigue. I discussed what it was, different types of fatigue, and how different factors can influence your perception of fatigue. We also discussed how different things in your life can sometimes make you feel tired, but then you start moving and this idea that you are tired goes away. It's kind of magical. Before we get into our conversation with Marlo, just take a moment, take your right hand underneath your left collarbone, and then take your left hand on top of your right hand. Gently press your hands into your chest, kind of softening the skin there. And then tilt your ear to the right and back up. And just play with this a few times, tilting your ear. And you can play with turning your head, different orientations as you tilt your ear and back up. And then go ahead and release there and just pause for a second, maybe with your eyes closed, maybe with them open, and observe the differences between the two sides of your neck, if there are any. And also observe the sense of the weight of where your hands just were. And then go ahead and open your eyes if you have them closed. So the hands provide an anchor and the anchor slows things down, which can give you an opportunity to, to explore moving the neck in a little bit different way than maybe you would otherwise. We'll talk about that more on a later episode. But now let's get into Marlo. Again, thank you so much, Marlo, for being here. I am excited. Thank you for Mar a little <laughs> neck rooting. Yeah, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, a little anchoring. Ah. So Marlo is a movement teacher and pole dance innovator. I'm just making sure I get all of the information right. She teaches all over the world and is a consummate student of movement. Is that pretty accurate? Excellent. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the pole dancing things. People get really curious about this. What initially drew you to pole dancing? Yeah, my story of getting started isn't that uh, fantastic, really. Somebody <laughs> mentioned it. I heard it. I said, that sounds cool. That sounds like a thing I should do. And um, this was about 16 to 17 years ago at this point. So it's been a while, you know, um, it certainly isn't in, in the mainstream awareness more now than it was then. Um, but yeah, I went and I tried it. And honestly, the classes I went to, I didn't really like the class like, because I was already a teacher of movement. I had a, I had some some taste preferences and how class delivery goes, you know, but I felt though, I was like, okay, but this activity, I'm, I'm into this. I want to do this. And I got my own pull and started um, pr like practicing and training right away. I just, I felt the potential to, well, to just move with this thing and, and move in any way. I definitely wanted to do the sexy style of movement. I'd been a lifetime dancer. And I was like, I want to, I want to move in this way. I want to have be able to kind of access that in myself because it's it's hard <laughs> you know actually to to go there with your movement um 
and to move in a more like evocative way authentically is actually like a really challenging thing. So I was interested in that. But then once I started doing it, I said, oh, this is actually, this is, I can do anything with this. I can move in any and every way I've ever known. Um, so that really hooked me. And did you find teachers to learn from or did you, were you self-taught or was it kind of this mixture of both? Yeah, there was a couple classes that I took in the beginning um, in New York City, but the majority of my learning came from experimentation and then finding videos on YouTube because this was before Instagram video, Facebook had just gotten video. And so I would look at grainy videos from strip clubs and go, "What what are people doing here and I was you know definitely attracted to people who are able to to like move and keep moving and find this like circular movement flow um and so that and just just moving just spending a lot of time playing and experimenting by myself (laughs) yeah (laughs) and this is before there was probably a big vocabulary of like different pull movements or a different you know this kind of idea of, oh, this is the right way to do this particular move. Did you, so did you find that challenging, like figuring out ways to access different moves or? Usually not. I think my, the, the things that were there, I mean, it's actually still pretty fundamental vocabulary to what, what we use now. Um, but I think that my my problem solving abilities from my movement background didn't make it very mysterious most of the time, except if something required more strength than I had available, then it can feel very elusive. Um, but since there weren't many moves like being displayed, luckily when I saw something and like that that looks really hard, I would I would learn how to get it over um, pers- through, through persistence, basically, <laughs> rather than structured training. Yeah. And one of the things you're known for is the ability to do static rotations. And for those of you listening, and a lot of people don't realize this, the pole has two settings. You can either twist the pole like a top and make it spin. And then as you're moving, the pole is actually spinning for you. Well, kind of a bit of both. Or you can, the pole is still and you can rotate around the pole. And so a static rotation is rotating around the pole. And what Marla does amazingly well is it looks like the pole is moving. <laughs> So how did you figure that out? (laughs) Um, You know, it it feels like it was my natural response to being a curved body who likes to move in circles, being on a rounded object on a planet spinning in space. You know, like spirals is kind of like the, to me, like the, the most obvious answer to any movement problem. Like there's always a curve. There's always a spiral, even if it doesn't maybe appear so at first um and so when i would go to do anything i would kind of allow and and enjoy that this like this turning or this drifting that happens between motions and if you were listening and you're not familiar with pole dance i'd be like let's see if you imagine somebody on a yoga mat where they're just always facing forwards and doing things more in these kind of train track ways. Well, what if every single transition that you did, you followed the curve of your body and your, your front kept on changing to me, that feels like a, a much more natural way and enjoyable also for me, way to, way to move. Um, and I think the, the truth is that for a lot of people, rotations feels elusive because they hold far more tension than is necessary. So if there's not rotational movement in your body, it's because you're blocking it. It's not like you have to do 
more. Usually you have to, you have to stop inhibiting it. Um, and it's also, it's demonstrative of coordination. So just like a lot of our, you know, like athletic movements and preparations, there's these like torsions and spiraling windups. Like that's the same thing that allows for somebody to rotate on the ground or in the air around a pole and make it look like they're floating. When you, when you do a preparatory movement in segments, it's like, oh, well, if I, I bend my knees and then I turn my hips and then I draw my arm back and then I try to throw, like the throw is going to suck. And it's the same with, you know, step movement around a pole that's really fluid is it's, it's, it looks so like magical because it's coordinated. And when it's really coordinated, it can have this lightness and this floating sort of appearance that, um, is all very intriguing to me. And, uh, kind of, I guess my life's work, (laughs) one of them. (laughs) Yeah. It's a good life's work. And with the floating and the lightness that you just mentioned, actually, do you find that with movements on and off the pole that when you create the rotations that there is this sense of that things feel lighter? Because when you're doing a complex move, sometimes things can feel really heavy, especially when you're first learning. Yeah, well, I mean, I think as when coordination improves, it does have this, this feeling of sort of like a feeling of lift. And even when you know, let's say there's something athletic where I have to really have to root in the ground. It's almost like generating power itself is this like lift up this. I'm thinking of like, you know, as the helicopter starts winding, I'm sure there's some fantastic principle in physics that explains this, but that, (laughs) you know, as also as, as a person spins, like if you, when you spin faster, it starts to pull you up away from um, the ground, unless you're, unless you're burrowing down, like by bending your knee or something. Um, so you you do you feel it in other things, but pole is just the really highlights. You can really highlight <laughs> some of, the, of these. <laughs> what happens when you try to spin because you are now tethered to something, and it can really show you what's going on. It does not lie. <laughs> yeah. I love that. And then when you began teaching some of these principles, did you find it hard to translate into language? Um, not very much because the, 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 the words for it, I think are secondary to the giving people a watch what happens when I do this. Now watch what happens when I do this. And so then they're able to have the visual to compare the two things. And then I kind of language is secondary to that. So, uh, you know, a, a summarizing concept, like if your weighty parts are far away, it's going to mean that you can go in, you know, bigger horizontal circles. So things like that, these boiled down um, principles that allow for the, for the movement. It, it doesn't work very well if you try to, you know, make it particularly anatomical or like you need to and even that's where the the, when the language gets really technical like put your body parts in this position it actually disharmonizes everything when we go really you know pieces parts or like a more internal focus is not where to go for these big sweeping motions which i find really interesting because i think a lot of 
times movement can be taught more from this like top down processing place where it's like, okay, I want you to focus on this body part and rotate it this way and do this thing. And one of the yeah. things you do really well is you incorporate um, different senses and you kind of bring it into how you teach so that people have something else other than that conscious awareness. Yeah. And how did you figure out how to do that? Cause that's a skill in and of itself. Yeah. I, I, I don't know because I don't really remember a like some turning point in my awareness of like this is how to teach things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've I've been teaching since I was sixteen, um, movement like full time, so like twenty something, lots of years now. Um, <laughs> and uh, but I I think that bringing people into a, a really detailed awareness of where their parts are like you would get to more typically in a like a Pilates environment or in a yoga environment which I was in those worlds quite a bit and used to teach in the more like mind body group exercise space I do that work but it's almost always off the pole it's like we're, we're practicing these like you know these just like I call them imprinting exercises like it's an exercise but we're really just trying to like groove that in and then when we get on the pole like we don't the the language changes and the emphasis changes and just hopefully there's some residue <laughs> from that exercise <laughs> that we you know we bring with us and then I go like okay but now okay now do that exercise while you are um you know trying to scrape your butt all around the planet or whatever <laughs> wonderful phrase is helpful for the, that moment <laughs> I've actually never said scrape your butt all around the planet as a cue but <laughs> You I'm should actually. I've been envisioning how that would work. It worked pretty well. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's challenging. That's for sure. Um, yeah, uh, I think I, as somebody who's taken a lot of classes, it just the you're I'm have a sense of energy flow in the class and like how much time are we moving and how much time are we listening to a lecture and I cannot handle when. I'm in a class and there's just a lot of talking and there's a lot of talking about moving and I don't get to do it. So I try to not create that environment. And it's so hard as an instructor and I completely empathize with everybody in their teaching journey to try to figure out like, how do I talk less? And I'm like, there's a couple of things. I'm like, can you say less about it and watch what happens? Just say as little, like the most bare minimum and then watch what happens so that you respond to what you see with more, exercises or with more directives rather than more talking about it um and I think that like I guess the, the yearning for more movement myself when I'm a movement student is changes how I lead a classroom and that really resonates with me because that is something I have struggled with because I like the nerdy part of movement and I've gone to all of these workshops where I get that, but it's so much talking. It is so talk heavy and it's not experiential. And I'm like, well, what does this mean for me? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, me too. I, yeah, I, I love the, the concepts and the, uh, you know, the underlying whys, like, cause I, for me, like why we're doing something is really important. And I sometimes have, find myself having a hard time being, open to trying something if I don't have a if I don't know why and that it's an experiment can be enough or that it's 
because it's different than what you're used to can be enough of a why. But if I'm not given any why, especially if it's like, do it like this, I feel some resistance within myself. And so um, also looking for that in my teaching, like just get, why are we doing it this way? And um, I think that's really helpful for getting people emotionally invested in it. Uh, the buy-in, they don't know why they're not going to really give themselves to it. Right. And do you find as you've, I mean, as you've, you know, become more experienced and as you've learned more things, do you find that your teaching has evolved to reflect that? Definitely. But, you know, one of the, the more recent notable evolutions is actually having to go online oh, and yes. teach online because it, it really does change the way that you have to lead a class. And um, I have to plan actually so much more for online learning than I do for in-person I, when I, if I'm teaching a class on a, a given subject in person, I have been doing this for so long, but I don't really have to plan. I know what's important. I know, like, I know, like they're, they're just automatic settings for me, manage the energy, like keep it going, just do, do all these little things that make for a great class experience. But online, I've really had to up my ability to like simmer back down. What's really important here. What's really important here. Cause I, you know, we can think of 79 exercises to help you experience your wrist flexion and extension like it's like <laughs> it's, it's so true. Right? and then it's it actually is de detracting away from well what's what's important here so that's it's made me better at that and and conversely it's actually really helpful for like marketing yourself if you're a movement teacher educator to be able to express like why we're doing something and stay stay aligned with where we're really trying to go so somehow teaching online has has helped with that i also get to create these fancy workbooks that feel like a fun way for me to express my the movement nerdery part i don't need to talk about it in class but i can give you this resource that shows <laughs> that shows you where that idea came from yeah and it's very pretty because it was done in canva i don't know if you use canva but you know <laughs> it's usually not a notion but canva okay. does help from time to time yeah yeah <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> fun way to bring bring like the the te the tech and the science together with the the experiential part is is fun. Um, it's a lot of screen time, but it's also fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and speaking of that, I did see you have a handspring. You're running a handspring handspring course right now, right? Yes. And a handspring yes. is a pretty complex skill. Yeah. Do you find that it's difficult to translate? in an online environment? Ooh, so I'm learning that right now. We know we're on, okay. we're in week one of a four week <laughs> program that I'm teaching for the first time. So for okay. the listener, they probably, you've, you've probably heard people say like the flag, like if you see somebody holding a pole and then they're holding their body horizontally from their, from their arms splayed wide, the flag pole, sometimes people call it, so and that would be the hardest expression of this kind of thing, holding yourself horizontal. But you can you can use like a sort of cartwheeling and kicking handstand like motions to find a balance point at the top. And I'm really teaching people how do you get from having weight in your legs to getting yourself upside down in this like handstand on the pole and um some of the, some of the most common reasons that it's that it's hard for people, I'll say who like they have the the capacity to do it. So of course, if somebody doesn't is doesn't have anywhere near the right amount of strength or coordination, that work needs to be done. But there's a lot of people that 
they have the capacity and we know they do because if they descend into the move, you know, if they were doing it from something where they're already on the pole, they can get there, but they don't know how to get themselves up. It's a, it's almost always a leg thing. People don't know how to jump, kick and bring their <laughs> torso with them at the same time. And so we're doing a lot of grounded, like acro, acro things with the, with the real focus on coordinating, coordinating um, jump and changing the, the orientation of the torso and space without causing undulations that are that are unintended because that's you know it makes it harder if we're if we're wobbly in the trunk getting yourself upside down to a balance point it can feel really scary or or dangerous so um so yeah we're doing grounded work and then we're gonna little bit by bit start to creep it up away from the floor and this is a really clever way to progress something like that so you're using lots of different ways that aren't necessarily on the pole to actually teach something that is done on the pole. Yeah. Right. Yes. Which, and would you say that there is a level of one has to focus in order to be able to do those ground movements, correct? Yeah. Especially to change how they do them, which is a big, big part of what I was working on, even with the group this morning. Um, because there's, you know, if we're, if we're just checking it off, like, did you do it? Check mark. That's easy to get. But we're trying to really start to repattern someone's ability of weight distribution, the timing, um, resisting a down phase. And that, like, in order to, to slow your hips coming back down to the ground, you have to be really sensitive to where your weight is. What do you have to do in order to slow that down? And so little micro adjustments. Um within these moves that do, they do require a lot of focus if you want to do them differently. <laughs> they might not require that much, much focus if you're just trying to get them done. And that's like kind of the difference between maybe if you're just focused on reps and sets and just getting it done, better than not. But if you want to repattern, yeah, you got to be there in it. And especially if you're <laughs> trying to re- on the up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Like if you're trying to repattern for the purpose of achieving something else, right? So which brings me to, do you think skill acquisition is useful for people? And if so, why? Or if so, why not? So by skill acquisition, like like choosing a, a cool human trick that you want to be yes. able to do. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it certainly can light the flame or keep the flame burning for longer. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'll tell you, even teaching this class, I could see the first session was two hours and we, we didn't get on the pole at all. We were just going region by region, like help being able to hip hinge without tucking your butt is going to be relevant to jumping when you're yes. bent over. And so we were working on all these things. And I had this, I could feel that some people's like enthusiasm might've gotten like lower towards the end of class. And I was like, when you're doing this exercise, when you're working on your grip strength, you're working on your handspring. You got to like, remember that because if when you encounter these exercises that are important steps to build this skill safely, sustainably, be able to throw it in your cool party trick. (laughs) If you can, if you can remember that you are working on your, your handstand, you are working on your, you know, choose your move when you're doing the pieces parts. Um, it can help you stay committed to it rather than just these exercises. And it's a, for what, for what is a real problem with, um, us staying with any 
program? For what am I doing this for? Um, if you don't have that, it's harder to show up and it's certainly harder to pay attention. <laughs> right? You're 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 not invested in it. So so yeah. Um and but and for for everybody might not re- relate or resonate with um there being a particular skill or move that they want, but we could also go to a, like a felt experience for if somebody's like, I want to feel confident, you also have to train that, you know? And so there's, that's a thing you can bring in. Like what is sometimes people, I feel really stiff. I'm like, okay, so how can we move, do everything you're doing with an intention of like hydration, with an intention of flow, even if you're squatting. So, um, and in some ways I'd still call that a skill, like being able to shape shift, being able to shift energies, shift intentions is also a a movement skill. That's not necessarily like a trick, Um, tricky, (laughs) not maybe a trick. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love that. And does that come more from your dance background, the ability to shift intentions. And because I do feel, again, that's something that is often missing, missing in traditional fitness, right? Yeah. Like what is the felt sense of the experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how can dance. I change the felt sense of the experience, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it, it must be, I mean, my, my, I've been a dancer my whole life. So it's, it's literally like, <laughs> like these are my, my, my dance goggles. <laughs> are always on and I have to do a lot of work to, to to see things from other perspectives which has been really important for me to actually be like a movement educator that's not perpetuating a lot of harm really harmful stuff that's like the dance traditions that I was raised in is you know really a disservice to a lot of people to to spread some of those ideas um but and when dance uh you know, throughout the world and throughout time, it has, a, you're doing it for a, a reason. Even if that reason is just to like, to shift your, your energy, your spirit in that moment, to connect you with where you are or like um, to be okay. <laughs> but there's a reason for it other than I have to do it. Like it's a, a burdensome item on your list or there's a, there's a, you know, it's in service of something. So um, you know, as it relates to exercise, yeah, it does feel like something that's often missing when it is like, you just do this, this is the the exercise. I want like directional intentions, even if it's like, I got to push the floor away and rip the band <laughs> apart. All of a sudden it feels like it's rooted in a an intention that allows all of me to participate. And it's, it feels kind of icky if I don't, if I'm not all in it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is maybe just my perspective for me, when I'm doing something with just the intention of doing the thing again, with no other outside reason, it's very hard for me to get through. Mm-hmm. My attention is it wanders. I get bored or I get frustrated or I, you know, I'm just like, oh, I'd rather do something else. But when yeah. the movement becomes something that's more curious, I feel, it seems because you're trying to explore, can I do it with this in this way? Can I do it, you know, by evoking this, there's suddenly a little bit, there's that curiosity, right? Yeah. Which I think I I could be wrong, but I feel like you have that naturally with how you both explore movement and how you teach. Is that accurate? 
Yeah, I th- I think a lot of a lot of my curiosity now is like, it always circles back to like I I love teaching and sharing movement. I see that as like that is what I am here to do. And so <laughs> when I like when I'm moving myself, I really still feel very connected to the that it's for that it's for that work and um yeah, I'm like always exploring how I do things. Somehow it's me toggling how I would present this concept or idea to others or what do I already know about this thing that I'm doing and what can I find that I haven't heard said before is really like a oh you know exciting um because that also is, is me constantly kind of researching how I can um you know stay fresh in my my own work stay excited about my work and I think that's where like cueing and instruction when it's the same, same, same people tune out. And yes. my work <laughs> as movement educators, I want to help always, but people bring them into an experience and, and be able to bring them into feeling themselves move, you know, for the purposes of enjoying it and finding some joy in it, even if it's grind work, they're going to get the, the, you know, the greatest benefit from it. And the more focused we can be, um, the greater the benefits. And when we get a little bit of new information about it, like the newness, yes, the brain chemistry is like, yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Something <laughs> new here, even though we're doing a lunch, we've done this before, but I'm feeling something new. I can pay attention to something new. And so, you know, that's, it's for me and it's for everybody that I, that I teach that I'm experimenting and in those ways as I move. Ah, and that, too, I think is really valuable. So it res- does this result in you always having kind of a fresh perspective in how you're approaching a movement, even if it's like a workshop you've taught a gazillion times. So you walk in to teach this workshop, but you have all these new experiences since you taught the workshop last. Yeah, often. Some workshops, like uh, some of the poll ones, um, the what tends to happen that's new is actually a, re- a result of me watching people like playing with them comes back a little more to like an improv comedy, like a yes. And I'm seeing what they're doing and I'm like, you know, kind of bringing them in. So that, that shows up the, and then the experimentation I find particularly helpful with um, warm ups, which often people will comment to me. They're like, well, that was really different. That was really fun. It was really fun. Yeah. <laughs> that was really fun. You know, or yeah, like, woo, I can't believe that was that sometimes I will do long, um, long sets of movement in some of the work, especially with floor flow. And I, I purposefully get people in a prolonged uh, movement phase where they've lost track of time and I'll, we'll do, we'll do something I, I, for the beginning of class. And then I say, that was 40 minutes, you know, and people's like mouths drop open, their eyes widen because they thought it was like 12. Um, but I think that's that's an important experience for people to have moving their bodies that they can get so immersed in something that they get that time compression or time stretching. Um, and that I, I think I'm only able to do that because I'm in the regular process of playing with ideas that I can then in that moment play like with, with a group of people. Cause if we can't experiment on our own, when we're teachers, how are you going to do it when now a room of people are looking at you for insights 
And so people who tell me I, I my warmups are really boring or like my, I'm tired of my own material. I'm going to always bring it back to where well, you got to, you got to figure out how to on your own drop into a, that getting a little bit more exploratory with what you already do. You don't need to throw everything away and start new. That's a bad idea. That's so that's a recipe <laughs> for a tragic class. <laughs> when you try everything new, you know, and that's what we, we do. If you go to some weekend seminar, right. You learn all these new methods and people go and they try it and they're like, it was a total flop. And then we might think that the method doesn't work. And that's not true. You just can't throw yourself away in the process of trying to bring in, you know, new ideas. So, And how do you structure this concept in your own practice? So do you have like, do you always have time for yourself to explore some sort of freeform movement before you get into some sort of structured Hey, depends on where I am. I think environment mm. really shapes that behavior. And of course, time constraints for sure shape it, you know, yeah. um, and sound environment will also shape it a whole lot. So what am I listening to? Because there's the, some music is going to just like, whoop, it, it's saying you need to listen and you need to move with this. Um, but sometimes I do pretty typical strength training routines where I actually, I have to, pull myself out of getting too experimental because I don't want to be there for two and a half hours. I just need to like, <laughs> you know, I need to, do, I wanted this particular strength workout to be one hour. I can wiggle for 15 minutes in the beginning. I can do the strength workout and then I can treat myself to a little something at the end, but I need to actually <laughs> reel it back. <laughs> it's more, more of a problem for me. Um, but you know, I, I, I'm really actually yearn miss for the, the days of these like untime constrained practice sessions where I have a space right now in my mother's house. I don't really have a, a space, a studio to go into to just, I go in fed and I would start moving and playing and training. And I don't end until I realize like, wow, I'm really kind of depleted. You know, it need, I need, I'm like constrained by fuel instead of the time <laughs> being the constraint. That like fuel constrained training. I I would love to have more of that again in my life. <laughs> that that could be a That's whole where, that could be a whole system. Fuel constrained training. <laughs> it it is. There's like there's time constrained versus like you know fuel or some other constraint that not entirely sure <laughs> how long that will be. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um. So if you were to reflect on everything you've learned over this journey, like the last many, many years, right? What's like the one thing that stands out to you that's helped you the most as a student? And then what's helped you the most as a teacher? Are they the same? Are they different? And what are they? Mm, Yeah. Um, One thing as a student that I bring what's important to me and what I'm working on to whatever class I go to so that even if it's not really mentioned or what's emphasized it still gets a little attention so an example of that might be you know if I go to a class where we're learning some kind of like acrobatic trick and they're just doing the trick and you you're just drilling the trick what's really important to me is that I learn how to connect it to other stuff so I will do the thing and keep moving for four counts 
Like I want integration, you know, oh, th- so that's, that's something. Um, huh. Or maybe if other people, the way that they're, you know, taking a break is by really like somehow checking out of the room, I might see like, okay, how can I, how can I, how can I give myself, I'm already in a movement classroom, like keep, keep wiggling, keep like move your spine. You work on a computer a whole lot. You want more of that. Do it now. You know, so I, even if it's not being said in classroom, I'm still bringing my movement values, life values with me to the classroom. And I, I sometimes remind students that study with me and I'm like, look, the stuff that I'm encouraging you to do, you can go practice in other classes with other people in a way that's not disrespectful. If I'm telling you to really take care of your landings and some, just because somebody's not telling you that doesn't mean that you, you don't have to do it. You know, you can still bring that with you. You're not derailing the class in, in some way. Um, so, so that's, that's helpful as a student just to, I don't bring it all together and to stay intentional with your training. And then the other part, you said as a teacher, the other part and as a teacher. Yes. Oh my gosh. What's the question again? Okay. So one <laughs> thing that's been really helpful. Yes, or exactly. Well, I'm going to, I'm, I'm thinking of, okay, what is it that when people reflect to me that my class really helped them or that working with me really helped them. The, the most meaningful comments are around them finally feeling like they're enough as they are and that they got to enjoy moving and not be afraid of being seen or feeling really stuck in their head. And that is the result of me creating an environment that's making it about more feeling and enjoying what you're doing than making it look like a particular thing. So that's a big one is like, there's a, there's a, there's a de-emphasis on how it looks, but that doesn't mean that we're not working on an aesthetic or really we're working on like the aesthetics through energy through where you're reaching or for like how much you're stretching, which is different than trying to shove our immensely diverse bodies into these molds. And uh, that, that can be something you, you, you do through your language. A lot of instruction is very pieces, parts, put this here, don't do this. And the picture that someone tends to form around those like very pieces, parts and what not to do and do, 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 do is that there are wrongs. There's like, there's wrongs. There's all these like red X's that are unsaid, but come along with that instruction that tend to have people more, more in their head than they are not just in their body, but like in the enjoyment of experiencing the the movement. So that might've been a very long answer. I don't know if there was a summary there, but um... <laughs> no, I, I, I love that actually. And it's interesting because I had Ryan Hurst from GMB on here a few weeks ago, and he talked about how he teaches martial arts. And he said, I don't teach the techniques. I teach, you know, I give constraints and I let there be play mm-hmm. and the techniques emerge. Yeah. So for those of you listening, just something to keep in mind, there are so many ways to learn a movement. 
and to teach a movement. It doesn't have to be this parts way. Mm -hmm. And would you say, one of the things that seems to have kind of a theme that has sort of come up throughout our conversation is it sounds like you do have a good ability, both yourself to tap into this idea of like a flow state, I'm using air quotes here, and to help others tap into this. Would you say that that's accurate? Yeah, and I, 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 it comes back down to giving people more time to move instead of me wanting to to talk about it. You know, it, in workshops, when I experience it, it's when a teacher just puts on a song and like leaves the song playing and doesn't stop the song in the middle of the song to tell us what we're doing wrong. Um, <laughs> you know, let let the unfoldings happen a little bit um, more. And I definitely through through play which doesn't play doesn't necessarily mean like yay yay jolly jolly right like no rules it's, there's just like a playfulness about it even in the language that I'm just trying to teach people how to keep their arm by the side of their body and it's a it's really important for a number of moves and pull that they're then they're gonna basically be using their upper back and be able to not dangle and hang um you know when we, I come up for terms for it like oh the pit gap like oop the pit gaps are peeking out and it lets people like kind of recognize <laughs> what they're doing wrong but in a way that's like playful rather than it being like uh you know that they're weak like oh pit, you know like oh pit, pit gaps are peeking you know it's it's <laughs> like can you can you make the things that are more technical playful I think that's and that 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 brings play play brings us closer to flow towards well I mean first you have to feel safe if we feel safe you know we're more willing to play or sometimes a little bit of playfulness helps people realize they could let their guard down and then they you know in order to get towards um flow and be more you know sensorily receptive yes. then all those things yeah and because at the end of the day, when we're learning movements as an adults, which you teach adults, I teach adults, we're teaching people who are volunteering their time to be there and their mm -hmm. resources, their money, their energy, their time, all these things. And it, I, I feel like it should be an enjoyable experience. I do too. I sometimes meet people <laughs> that don't, I like, I think it's like, I don't want it to be, you know, and, and no. I mean, I'm just not for them. I'm never, I'm not for them. <laughs> But I do, it does make me curious with like, you know, what's, what's, what has led you to believe that moving your body should feel like militaristic. And, you know, these can be like cultural inheritances around the way that the body is regarded and, and so forth. You know, so I become curious because sometimes people think they're not doing real work if it has a lightheartedness to it and it's it's like ah, you're missing out that's where like discoveries and we're more able to make connections um between our skills and even like things that feel really separate in our lives we can start to find find the way that they all come together so yeah yes ah well thank you so much marlo do you and where can people find you so if people want to look you up find out more about what you're doing. Um, Instagram is a good one at Marlo Fiskin. And my website is flowmovement.net, flowmovement.com, 
many years ago was owned by a plumbing website, but that's not theirs anymore. Now I'm flowmovement.net. Don't get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thank you again, Marlo. And yes, everybody listening, I do encourage you to check out all of her resources. She gives a ton of great information away for free. And also her workshops are a ton of fun. So thank you, Marlo.